Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Permanente Docs chat. Uh, my name is Alex McDonald. Thank you from uh, wherever you may be listening or watching or, or tuning in today. Uh, I'm very excited for this topic, a topic near and dear to my heart, which is lifestyle medicine. And today we are joined by the physician co-chair, co-lead for lifestyle medicine, uh, Dr. Regina Ragasa. So thank you, Dr. Ragasa, for joining us so much today. Thank you for having me on here. I'm super excited. Great. Well, we're going to keep this short and high yield. So um, those of you who are watching or listening live, uh, if you have questions, please drop them Drop them into the Q&A. We'll get to as many as we can, although it's only 20 minutes. So get those questions in early. And so we are going to jump right in here. So uh, Dr. Ragasa, tell us, tell us a little more about who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, sure. So um, I've been practicing with uh, Southern California Permanente for about seven years now. And I've been doing family medicine since, well, graduated from residency. And uh, just about four years ago, I got really interested about lifestyle medicine. I was introduced to it through a colleague through another talk. And I was like, wait, you can use food to reverse disease? I can't believe that. And uh, and then it was just a really crazy rabbit hole. They just went chasing after it. Um, so yeah, I got certified four years ago and I've been practicing ever since. And it's really revived my interest in medicine again. And I absolutely love it. Wonderful. I, I love the that comment about reviving your interest and almost like a, a burnout prevention, uh, but we'll get in, into that later. So, um, but let's first kind of take a step back and say, we've been all hearing this term lifestyle medicine. Um, so what what is lifestyle medicine and how exactly does it differ uh, or complement sort of traditional, you know, Western medical approaches? Yeah, that's a great question. So, Lifestyle medicine uses evidence-based literature to uh, offer guidance on lifestyle habits that can be used to prevent, treat, and even reverse chronic diseases. Um, So I actually see lifestyle medicine as the core of conventional medicine, because oftentimes we tell our patients, you should diet and exercise, but oftentimes we don't give more guidance beyond those three words, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, lifestyle medicine helps to define what that diet, that optimal diet is, and that optimal exercise, that optimal sleep. There are actually six pillars that lifestyle medicine relies on. So those Mm -hmm. are the the first three. Um, the other ones are social connection, um, stress management, and then also uh, avoidance of risky substance use. Right. I always love telling my patients that diet, sleep, exercise, and the stress relief, although I know that's only four of the six pillars, uh, those four things will do more for you than any medication I will ever prescribe in my lifetime. Um, and I always sort of, anytime I meet a new patient, I kind of start with that that kind of um, level setting and just to have them understand who I am and the way that I practice medicine. Um, I, I I really, again, I'm a family physician as well. I'm sort of biased. I feel like lifestyle medicine sort of is family medicine, um, but now, but there's more, more structure, there's more data and there's more research behind it uh, in terms of just prevention, right? Because that's, again, as family doctors, that's what we do every single day. Um, can you tell us more about some of the data and some of the research emerging behind lifestyle medicine? I know that's probably, we could probably talk for 20 minutes about that alone, um, but maybe just kind of give us a, a sneak peek about some of those big, big pieces and how we're trying to systematize lifestyle medicine to help empower physicians and patients. Yeah, also a very great question. And yes, you're totally right. We could talk about this not only for just 20 minutes, for like days. Right. <laughs> There's just so much literature out there and we're finally putting it together and get, putting it in some some way for us physicians to be able to digest it. 
Because unfortunately, or, or fortunately, you know, there's so much for us to learn in medical school. And I think we took lifestyle practices as uh, for granted. And mm-hmm. we just kind of assumed, well, obviously, just healthy eating, whatever that means, right? Um, but lifestyle medicine goes beyond that. And they actually, again, define all those different things. Um, so, you know, up to 85% of chronic conditions are actually influenced by poor lifestyle cho- choices. Mm-hmm. So, you know, by educating not only ourselves, because it starts with us, we can educate our patients on how to actually do preventative medicine, not just early detection of chronic disease. Um, so there's tons of research out there. The three that I really love to focus on are um, studies that focus on hyperlipidemia, mm-hmm. um, hypertension, and diabetes, right? Those are like the three big things that we see in clinic all the time. Um, Some really landmark studies that help support the hyperlipidemia is like the portfolio diet. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Um, but basically they pitted. Oh, (laughs) do you want me to go into it or if you guys very briefly? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So they basically pitted like a low fat diet versus low fat plus a statin versus a whole food plant based diet, which they at the time called it a portfolio diet. Got it. And when they did this diet, I think it was only for four to eight weeks, they actually found that the people doing low fat plus a statin had the same outcome as those who were on a whole food plant based diet alone Hmm. without a statin. Yeah. So it's really powerful to be able to choose the right foods for our body. And uh, again, you know, this is something completely new to me. I just, uh, you know, four years ago, I had no idea that there was a right way to eat necessarily. Um, Yeah. And then there's great big people in the lifestyle world. You probably heard of Dean Ornish and maybe Caldwell Asisten. They have fantastic studies on reversal of coronary artery disease. Again, something that we don't learn about when we're in medical school, right? We're just kind of like, you have it. And we're just hoping you don't get another one by taking all these medications, but you can actually reverse it and see the diameter of the blood vessel um, open up again when you mm. actually consume a diet that's really anti-inflammatory, again, high in fiber and low in the saturated fats. And then diabetes. Oh my God, my favorite. <laughs> Mostly because it was like my patient zero for mm-hmm. diabetes. Um, I had this patient who was on, this is a, a personal case study, I guess, but um, who was on, you know, metformin, maxed out on metformin, maxed out on sulfonylureas, and then was on 60 units of insulin daily. Mm-hmm. And her A1C was 8.5. And I swore, I was like, are you even taking your medicines? <laughs> she goes, yes. And I'm like, well, you must be eating wrong. And she tells me she has oatmeal for breakfast, salad for lunch and dinner, and then with a little piece of chicken or fish. And then, you know, if she was hungry, she'll have a piece of cheese or yogurt. And to any normal person, that sounds like an incredibly healthy meal. And I was like, mm-hmm. you got to, you're, you're, you're not telling me about the cookies and all that stuff. And she's like, no, I take my health very seriously. And I do not indulge in those things. And I said, okay, fine. You probably don't exercise. And then she says, I do cardio 45 minutes a day. And I was like, oh, now I got to put on this hat, like our traditional hat. And we say, well, if, if you're doing all those things, I guess we add more insulin. And she's like, no, you're not going to do that to me. And right around the same time, I started learning about lifestyle. And I said, listen, I don't know if this is going to work, but why don't you replace your animal proteins with plant proteins and see what happens? Have beans or lentils instead of your chicken or fish. And instead of, you know, your yogurt or a piece of cheese for your snack, have a handful of nuts and just a piece of fruit. She said, sure, I already have a strict diet. No problem. A week later, she's completely off her insulin. And a month later, she's off all of her oral diabetic medications and her A1C is controlled within like two months. It was incredible. 
Wow. That's amazing. I mean, I think a yeah. lot of it too is, is like foods like yogurt, for example, a lot of people think yogurt is a healthy food, but a lot of these over the counter yogurts are in the refrigerator section. Yogurt have tons of sugar added to them or other artificial sweeteners. Um, sure. And so I, I think that's just a, that's such a phenomenal case, case study um, about the the power. And I, I think it's interesting too. One thing that I, when I was learning about lifestyle medicine is we talk about sort of, we think about the dose of lifestyle medicine, right? We tell people, Hey, Oh, you should go exercise. Right. But we don't, we don't ever say, Oh, here's some metformin. You should take some metformin. Right. We don't actually prescribe <laughs> medications like that. True. And I think we need to think about how we can prescribe lifestyle in those very kind of specific dose as well to get a specific response. Right. And so I think in your yeah. situation, she was doing, she was applying lifestyle medicine, but she wasn't applying it in the right dose, so to speak, or the right applications. Yeah. Um, and then she did that with the right applications and lo and behold. So I, I think that's yeah. a concept, a bit of a frame shift that as physicians, we should think about and, and not just say, oh, exercise. We should say, oh, what do you do for exercise? How many yeah. minutes a day do you exercise? How frequently, you know, I, anyway, I, I yeah. That's my own no, totally. activity, my mean, own soapbox when it comes to lifestyle. <laughs> um, but I think that's really important. But it's important. Again, I think you're, you're right about that, kind of setting the expectations. And then, you know, we all learn about SMART goals, right? And it's really big within our um, health education series as well when we teach our patients every time at the end of each class. So like, okay, what's your next SMART goal? Mm -hmm. So it's got to be something that you can define and not just I'm going to eat healthier because that's so broad. What does that even mean, right? If you're, if what you, your definition of, oh, I want to eat healthier is I'm going to have a cup of broccoli every day. That's very like something you can measure out and, mm -hmm. and, and track. Right. I think, um, for me, I think one of the biggest barriers to lifestyle medicine is time, um, especially time oh, yeah. with patients and time in clinic. Yes. And so can you talk a little bit about that and, and what are some of those physician barriers? What are some of those patient barriers to really practicing and implementing, uh, lifestyle medicine? Yeah, the yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think time is a huge barrier, right? Because a lot of times, even when we're prescribing medications, you need to get that patient on your side. So there's a lot of motivational interviewing, understanding where they're coming from and getting their trust. Um, so for a little while, I kept running behind in my clinic and I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to cut out the lifestyle and just put it in their after visit summary. <laughs> and then maybe they'll just read it. But I find that if I don't at least mention it to them, even just a two second blurb, like, by the way, I recommend all my patients to adopt a whole food plant based diet, regardless of their chronic conditions to, you know, prolong health span, that that little blurb can make a big difference to someone. And then that kind of when they see it on their after visit summary, they're able to be Oh, yeah, she mentioned that whole food plant based thing. What is that about? And then I list a bunch of resources underneath it so they can read it on their own time. Um, but as you know, everyone's got their own timeline, right? So not everyone's going to be on board with that. I've definitely had some people said, stop, stop talking. I'm not going to listen to you right now. <laughs> I'm okay on my keto. Leave me alone. And I said, okay. And I just kind of back off. And I said, if your keto is not working for me, I'm happy to talk to you again about this later. So um, it's, it's about feeling your patients out. Yeah, that, that's a, a good point. There's actually a question here in the chat, which is kind of very related to that. Um, do you find that you have patient barriers to lifestyle medicine when they sort of look at you like uh, they eat more like a hippie? Uh, those are the words specifically. Or, or, or do you have sort of that stigma that sort of this healthy plant-based diet is sort of not, not mainstream or not something a lot of people would want to, be, want to eat or be interested in? That is such a great question because I actually had a patient I was talking about that 
last week. You know, I've been practicing this for four years. So I whisper this into all my patients' ears. And this one patient in particular, she's Latina. And she said, you know, every time you mention plant-based to me, she said, I just thought you wanted to eat like white people food. And I was like, no, no, no. Um, I think all of our cultures have some type of roots within a plant-based diet anyway. You know, if you think about Latino culture, they tend to eat a lot of rice, beans, tortillas. Those are all plant-based, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not until they got more westernized, I guess you could say, more, more more came to the United States and meat became more prevalent. And it's something that was expected. And and this kind of goes back a little bit further, right? Because we're talking about like even social economics at the time, mm -hmm. because hundreds of years ago, that stuff was expensive. So only the rich could have those things. And these are things that we indulge in. But now we indulge those things like three times a day, which leads to a lot of our chronic conditions. But anyway, going back to that question, um, and eating like a hippie and stuff. Yeah, some people definitely send me those comments, but I try to remind them that I'm not trying to take away their culture at all. I want them to dig back to their roots, keep cooking the foods that they enjoy, but try to find replacements for those proteins, switch out the, um, you know, animal proteins for plant proteins, mm -hmm. and they'll see a huge difference in their weight. If that's their goal, they'll see a huge difference in their A1C, you know, so it makes them a little curious. And I love sharing success stories with them because I think it motivates them. Yeah, stories are definitely very powerful motivators. And I definitely use those myself in clinic. And I think one thing that I tell people is this doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing, right? You don't have to completely yes. eliminate all uh, animal proteins from your diet, just, you know, cut down to a few times a week, or even just, like, we start with meatless Monday, right? So you just don't have yeah. any animal meat on Monday, right? And then you sort of yeah. realize, oh, it, you can have a, a meal, which is satisfying without um, animal protein. Um so, you know, there's so many different varieties. And so it doesn't have to be an all or nothing type of thing. There are variations. And obviously, again, going back to that kind of dose response curve, if you have a, a, a more serious medical condition you're trying to treat, you need a higher dose uh, of this to, to treat it. Um, and it, and it, again, whether it's sleep or, or diet or exercise or stress relief, um, all of those are, are, are parts of lifestyle medicine. I want to just kind of stress is not just about the diet, although that's obviously a big piece. Yes. I think it's great that you talked about like a dose dependence, because I think that's huge. There's a lot of us who can get away with eating whatever we're eating now, have gorgeous cholesterol levels, no mm -hmm. problems with their A1C. And I'm like, you're not the population I'm trying to fix. <laughs> I'm trying to help those who have those abnormal, you know, metabolic profiles and are trying to live their life with the least amount of medications possible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you're right, there's that dose respondents, but there is a kind of like magic number I aim for, for those people who already have some issues with their metabolic profile, I'll tell them to aim for about 90% plant-based. Mm -hmm. And then for those people that allows them some wiggle room, they can eat out with their friends and family members once or twice a week without any guilt. And the rest of the time, they're just eating really well. And this is kind of how we ate like hundreds of years ago anyway. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, you know, meat was seen as a celebratory type food. Yeah. I think that again, I love that 90, 10 rule. And I, I tell my patients that as well people who are trying to, whatever their goal is, get better sleep, you know, lose weight, improve their, their A1C. Um, a lot of times they feel like it's all or nothing. And if they can't do it a hundred, hundred percent of the time, it'd be perfect. They just sort of throw their hands up in the air and they feel defeated and they give up. And I really yeah. encourage them to, to try a little bit and, you know, we're all going to be slip ups. We're, we're not going to be perfect all the time. Um, but if we yeah. aim for 90% of the time, we know we're going to, we're going to, set ourselves up for success as well and have a little, yeah. a little leniency with ourselves. And people tend to be very yeah. hard on themselves when they're trying to make these lifestyle changes, which are really challenging just to sort of flip a switch and, and make these changes. Absolutely.
Um, I'm going to add one more thing to that. On the other side of that, you said, oh, take baby steps, try that meatless Monday, try one meal that's, you know, plant-based. And that that one meal can actually make a huge difference. So there was a study that actually showed that for every 3% of a person's calorie intake coming from plant protein versus an animal protein, they actually reduce their risk of premature death by 5%. Wow. So even those small little changes can make a huge difference in your life. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I'm going to use that one for my patients. Uh, <laughs> so again, I, as I mentioned, this takes time. Uh, we've already mentioned a couple of tips, you know, just a single comment about it and then putting more information in the after visit summary or through email. Um, what what other tools or trips do you, t- excuse me, tools or, or tips do you recommend for physicians to, to kind of in- integrate more lifestyle into their practice and, and encourage their patients that doesn't take, you know, a lot of time? Yeah. Um... <laughs> Again, just slipping into the after visit summary. The other things I also do is, you know, obviously we all draw labs on our patients. So anytime there's that abnormal A1C, maybe they're pre-diabetic, I'll just put it into their email. Like there's no discussion. And it's really kind of encouraging that even those patients who I haven't talked to personally yet and trying to convince them to go plant-based, they read those emails, they read those letters from you and they trust you. And I've seen people sign up for the class without even talking to me. So, um, you know, we have... Um, I know we have a wide variety of audience <laughs> coming from all over the place, but for our, the Permanente physicians, we do have CHL, which is our Center for Healthy Living, and they offer these plant-based classes virtually. So, you know, um, a quick referral to them is really easy um, to kind of get it started. And and again, just kind of slipping it into the after-visit summary or into their um, follow-up with their labs. Yeah, I know there are a lot of community-based resources which are trying to really kind of engage patients um, in, in their diet, their exercise, their lifestyle pieces as well too. So people who don't necessarily have, you know, KP insurance here, who don't have that access for Center of Healthy Healthy Living, I know there's lots and lots of community-based resources which are which are doing this work as well. Where um, where can where can sort of physicians find these resources, or where can they learn more about how to educate themselves regarding lifestyle medicine, and then also also how to educate their patients regarding lifestyle medicine? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, a great place to start. They actually this year offered free CME. I meant to look this up before our interview to see if they were still offering it, but they want so many more physicians to be educated mm-hmm. on this that I think that's not something that they're going to stop doing. Um, they really want people to spread this information because as you know, unfortunately, our chronic disease burden is just getting worse and worse. And the answer isn't medications, the answer is lifestyle. So the more more education we get as physicians, the more we can educate our patients, and hopefully they start making those small little steps towards health. So um, one huge resource is ACLM, so the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And then there's tons of books out there. Um, There's this book written by Dr. Uh, Greger, Michael Greger. He was the first, uh, or his book was the first book I read, and it was How Not to Die. It's a little bit of a morbid um, (laughs) title. I don't totally love it. Sorry, Dr. Greger, I love you. Um, But, uh, you know, it's really great because he has individual chapters dedicated to lots of different conditions. And then he has a whole research team that actually um, kind of summarizes everything that supports what type of diet would be most optimal for that and why. Um, So they're really short snippets. And for a little bit, what I was doing is like, I became obsessed with this book. I just started photocopying some of these. And I'm like, here, read this chapter on diabetes. (laughs) And handing it out to my patients. But now we have our own resources. So I don't have to do that. 
But yeah, there's tons and tons of resources out there. And then what I also like to do is uh, refer my patients to, uh, I, I try to figure out what they're focusing on, what their mm -hmm. concerns are. So for example, if I have a young, healthy patient with a high lipid profile and they like to work out, I will you know, refer them to um, the Netflix movie, The Game Changers. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a really good book called The Plant-Based Athlete, which kind of summarizes a bunch of athletes and um, talks about their gains while they were plant-based and also offers recipes towards the end of the book. Um, if people are having gut issues, there's um, another really great doctor and author, um, Dr. Will Bolsowitz. Um, he wrote uh, Fiber Fueled. Also recommend that to my patients trying to think of some other big ones but those are kind of the big big ones that like sure. the the categories of people oh and mastering diabetes that's another good one mm, okay. um yeah there's just so many resources out there right just start, so start somewhere right um yeah yeah well, we, we've, we've talked a lot about diet because diabetes is a, that's obviously one of your area of expertise um and then one person question in the chat here is is meditation or mindfulness uh part of lifestyle medicine um I, I would give it a resounding yes, but I'd love to hear your yes. thoughts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As you know, there's tons of research behind this, right? So with mindfulness, it helps to reduce the cortisol levels in your body and that it falls into the stress management portion of lifestyle medicine. So yes, 100%. Um, I'd like to dive more into that um, eventually and maybe give a talk on that. Um, but for now, I just love, love, love nutrition. <laughs> so yeah. that's why I just focus on it so much, but all the pillars are individually important to, to, to your life. And I wouldn't say one is more important than the other. Maybe we'll have to do a whole episode just on, uh, stress relief and mindfulness and meditation, not only for our patients, but for our physician, physicians as well. Oh, um, man. yes. So, so I do want to keep this high yield. I I'm dying to ask you a million more questions. Um, real quickly, <laughs> Tell us how is Kaiser Permanente kind of uniquely situated to really embrace and and build on lifestyle medicine? I feel like our in our DNA is prevention based on the way we're designed and the way we're set up. And I think this is just such a perfect piece to to capitalize on who we are as Permanente Medicine and as Kaiser Permanente. Uh, can you can you share some of your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, for one, this podcast, right? This is a great way for us to connect as physicians to learn more and really learn how to become our best selves so that we can support our patient population even better. Um, I think we offer lots of CME in lots of um, medical centers that are widely available thanks to the pandemic. We've seen all the amazing things we can do virtually with each other. Mm -hmm. And um, it just, it, we're just a wealth of information. We have, you know, thousands of doctors working together. Um, so I think that makes us incredibly special um, compared to, you know, other medical centers. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Last question. I promise. Um, tell us what, <laughs> tell us what makes you most proud to be a permanente physician. You know, um, again, that supportive educational environment, I think it's always encouraged here. And I love that about Permanente. Um, I love our coordinated care and that we share our patients together. Um, wh whoever comes in with their own expertise, we all work together to make sure that that patient gets what they need. And, and, and I love the population that we serve. I actually grew up in the San Fernando Valley and I'm back here again. These are my people. <laughs> That's awesome. Wonderful. Well, uh, Dr. Ragasa, I think we only like barely scratch the surface here. We'll def definitely have to have you back. Uh, thank you so much for joining us as well as your expertise today. Thank you for having me.
The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and are not meant to represent the views of the Permanente Federation, the Permanente Medical Groups, or Kaiser Permanente.